Hello, friends. Welcome to Faith at the Front Counter. I'm Yukiko. I'm Savannah. Today, we will be talking about a subject we discussed on our last episode. Uh, We were talking about The Bachelorette and the data on singles in the United States, and we realized we owe our listeners an apology. So we want to talk about that, and then we're going to have a special guest, actually our first guest, Sarah Reeve Chandler, to our show. But before we talk with her, let's go ahead and talk about what we discussed in our last episode. Yeah, so we talked about, as Makiko said, singleness in the church, and we did not address and give credit to the experience of singleness in the LGBTQ community within the church. Right. And so, and it was really apparent, especially when we were talking about the data, because both Savannah and I are straight. um, And so our, we have that perspective and that privilege essentially. And so when we were kind of, um, so as Savannah and I were talking about the data and trying to wrap our heads around, you know, kind of the differences and percentages, we really were looking at it from a straight perspective rather, rather than being inclusive of all different kinds of sexual orientations. And so we just want to apologize because we want to be inclusive in our podcasts and be able to hopefully support all different perspectives, all different kinds of relationships in what we're discussing. Yeah. We went. We wanted to own that mistake. Um, that's one of our rules. <laughs> yes. Here at Faith at the Front Counter, we have said that we are allowed to make mistakes. And while that's true, we also want to be accountable and learn and grow from those. Um, and so that's what we we wanted to mention today is just that we realize that was a little short sighted of us, and it's an opportunity for us to do better next time. Right. All right. So with that, um, we're going to interview Sarah Reeve Chandler. So we're happy to welcome Sarah Reeve Chandler to our show. Sarah is a fellow follower of Jesus, mother of two, wife, ex-wife, daughter of a former preacher, human resources professional, and I had to add this, an actress. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. Oh, that was an extra in a movie. (laughs) I think. And so, Sarah, thank you for being our first guest ever. Um, We're so excited to have you here today. Oh, my gosh. I'm so honored to be here. What a thrill. Thanks. So we just wanted to let our guests just get to know you. So if you could talk a little bit about your growing up experiences, you were a preacher's daughter and, you know, share whatever highlights or lowlights, however you want to talk about it, um, about your growing growing up experience. Sure. So I, I guess why that's interesting is because I identify as a lesbian. And so to be a follower of Jesus and a lesbian and daughter of uh, an evangelical preacher. That's, I think, the story. Uh, that's what makes my life story a bit um, quirky, interesting, and huh, 
makes people go, huh. Um, so that's, that's really what I want to share with. I grew up, um, I'm the oldest of five kids and I always felt like the oldest meant that my job was to the gaps of my, and there were a lot of gaps. Um, so my dad was very busy in the church and we all kind of grew up with the notion, um, of, uh, you know, looking good was more important than feeling good. And so we um, were taught to be examples. We were taught to, you know, there was certainly a right way to do things. I will share with you, there was a lot of love in my family, and I've always felt deeply loved by God. A lot of people struggle with that, and I'm so grateful I have not had that personal struggle. I know Jesus loves me. I actually think Mm -hmm. I might be one of his favorites. (laughs) Um, And, you know. (laughs) Well, let me put it this way. If he had a refrigerator, my picture's on the refrigerator, mm-hmm. right? So I'm sure of it. Um, and even through my coming out process, when a lot of people that I knew and, and you know, loved them and I thought they loved me were, were worried about how I felt about God or how God felt about me, like that never wavered. Like I just always knew Um, like I've just always been very much connected to, um, to God's love. So I know that that's not true for everyone. I feel kind of lucky in that sense. Um, I don't always feel God's presence, but I always have felt worthy of his love. And I think that's because there was a lot of love in family. Um, I don't know why, but my parents were really great examples of, um, you know, relationship. However, we also were all about, you know, the facade, looking great on the outside. And still to this day, I can look my best when I feel my worst. Like I know mm. how to turn it on and I know how to play the game and say all the right things. And I can speak Christianese and make everybody think, you know, that I'm doing great. And really on the inside, I'm falling apart. Mm. And um, that, that whole dynamic um, really played into why I don't think I came out into my forties because mm. I think I was really, um, I'm, you know, as I said, I'm the oldest, which by nature makes me kind of the responsible one. I'm a rule follower. Um, I really like doing things well and right. Um, I, you know, if there's an ideal, I'm shooting for that. And growing up in the church, there was a, sort of this ideological picture of what family was supposed to look like. And, you know, it's a husband and a wife and kids, and you go to church and you have, you know, the husband works and the wife stays home and she makes homemade meals from scratch and the house is clean. And you, you know, you look down on, but you're generous with your neighbors and you're the pillar in your community and the example to all. And so, I mean, I just was always aiming for that, you know, to be a blessing, to be a blessing to this world. And underneath (laughs) that is such a self-righteousness and also a, um, almost like this, this just weird obsession with what look, what is the, what is the right way to be a Christian? And so nowhere in there is same-sex attraction. So like, you know, nowhere in there is, you know, divorce or, you know, being a single mom by choice or any of that. So I, you know, I just went down this path. 
Mm. I, I guess that's a very long introduction. No, it's wonderful. I mean, that was so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that's kind of to give you a background, like a, a, the color and context of who I was. I, my whole goal was, you know, to get married, to have kids, to be in the church. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was my growing up experience. Um, I think when I hit my thirties, I remember, uh, my mom, my friend's mom, who's actually one of my Sunday school teachers saying, okay, now it's time to get married. Essentially, <laughs> like you just decide it's time to get married and you get married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and the, 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 uh, the faith community that we had was very, you know, it wasn't all bad. It's just, there was just this underlying pressure that you, you hide the difficulties, you hide the pain, you hide your inadequacy yeah. and you, you put forth in the best light possible, you know, your faith in God and you're of service and you're a helper. And, um, so there's, there's just not a lot of room for brokenness. I think the church is changing in that way. I really do. And I hope, um, that it's becoming more of a safe place for people to come as they are. I mean, that's like what every church says, right? Come as you yeah. are, but say, you know, say the prayer and then change immediately. Right. Yes. Be just like us, you know? So anyway, I drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I mean, I think we, we all do at some point. I think that's why there's, we have a hard time when we're older then because we all, drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. Yeah. And then you have these realizations of, or I guess it's the cognitive dissonance between what you're seeing and even what the church tells you. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing to come to terms with. That's right. There is disparity. There is gaps. And I, you know, I went to a Christian school. I always went to a Christian school. Um, I went to a Christian high school and I remember I was a freshman when I had my first gay friend. And, um, I will share with you, like I went to my mom and I was close with my mom and, you know, I'm so grateful, but her response to me was something along the lines of, um, this is a gift from God. If you have the ability to be friends with anyone who's in the margins or anyone who is seeking God, who's not in the center, like that is your gift. That's where your ministry is. That's what you're supposed to like lean into it. Don't run away from it. And so I sort of, I took that into my heart and really thought, okay, you know, like that's where I'm going to evangelize is, you know, like I'm going to be a friend of the gay people and this is before the term <laughs> ally, right? And, yeah. And honestly, like I just have always, always had gay friends my whole life. And, um, and I just kind of believe like, well, that's, that's my gift. And I remember like, I would get into these deep discussions with my Christian friends who would say like, where do you even find lesbian friends? Like, like, and I was like, you probably have some too. You, you, just, don't you just don't know. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, anyway, um, I called up 1-800-LESBIANS and asked them and one, you know, like they, they act, they were so different. Um, I will share, I'm kind of jumping around, but one of my friends who I came out to, who was LGBTQ, he, he, 
he's been a good friend for many years, but his first reaction was, ah, dang it. You were such a good ally for us. Now everybody's just going to think you were advocating because you were closeted. And I felt like, oh, I've let everyone down because my, my mission, my ministry was to advocate, you know, uh, for the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, today I know, gosh, I can still be an ally and be a part of that group, you know? Wow, but, amen, yeah. Do you think you were advocating for yourself or um, like I heard um, Pete Buttigieg, is that his name? Uh-huh. He talked about how he needed to come essentially because he came out in his early 30s and that he actually needed to come out to himself. And 100. so it wasn't that you were not being yourself. It's just that you had not come out to yourself. Essentially. 100. And, and mm. that's that's also that um, that piece that has made me wonder, like, am I a fraud? You know, and and. And just feeling like, and I've like done the work, you know, like I have journals and I go back and yeah, there's little signs along the way and all of that. But I really do believe in this fluidity and it's not like a a light switch went on. Um, It's not as black and white as that. Definitely. I can see why I chose a life of what the church presented to me as ideal like I wanted the ideal. I wanted to be that. And it wasn't until my life started to go sideways. Um, you know, the, the man that I married, um, it didn't work out. We got a divorce. Then I found myself, you know, as a single mom, which is also marginalized in the church. It's really tough. Yeah. And I, you know, I went through divorce care ministry. I became a life care pastor. And so I served um, as high as you could serve at the church that I belonged to for a woman, um, you know, being a, a part of the recovery ministry for divorce and for divorce care for kids. Um, and I just sort of found myself, you know, walking down a road I never wanted to be down and then realizing, oh gosh, I still have God's favor. You know, like I, I'm not. I'm not outside of God's favor. And I think that sort of let down some of the perfectionism, some of the pressure. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, just, just serving in a capacity where I was exposed to more, more people who had amazing faith and really broken lives, mm. you know, because there's this also this weird fallacy that if your faith is solid, your life is good. And if your life is bad, something's wrong with your faith. And that's not true. That's just not true. God is close to the brokenhearted. And um, so I think, I think all of that was sort of the peeling back layer by layer, helping my coming out process, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And could you share a little bit more about that? You mentioned coming out to one of your friends, but what was that like for you? to yeah. come out to your friends and your family. Cause you said you can so head on. It was really about coming out to myself. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it was such a jolt. Um, what happened to me is I was at, I was actually asked to speak at a women's retreat. And um, so, you know, you're that, that's another layer of like <laughs> weirdness, right? Cause you're, Oh, I'm the speaker, you know, so yes. can't be that vulnerable. And so here I am at this women's retreat and I'm attracted to another woman and the way that I was at, like attracted to boys, like 
Um, we went to take a group photo. She rubbed up against me. I got this electrifying spark. It was a definite physical attraction. And I, I was like sweating. Like it's, I'm so hot. Like I can't breathe. <sighs> I remember I was like, <sighs> it was like we were in the snow and I was like, <sighs> I was so hot. And I was just like, I couldn't talk to anybody because I'm the speaker. Don't you know? And what does this mean? And I don't know this person, but like, how do I get connected to her? And like, and then I had to drive other people and we're driving like two hours to the airport. And I just, I don't know what was being talked about. I just remember I was like, what is happening? What is happening right now? Like, this is crazy. And the craziest part about that story is that there were two other lesbians in the car with me. Like, I mean, God couldn't have orchestrated it better. Like I could have opened up to them, but I didn't. Mm. I absolutely didn't. And in fact, I didn't tell anybody for, I think it was like almost three months. So, mm. and the way that I did, like, I remember telling my best friend, I think I have a crush on a girl. And <laughs> she, she thought it was just the funniest thing ever, you know? And, um, like that was the, that, that was the best I could do was just like barely admit that I was attracted to somebody like, wait, what? And, um, you know, and things unfolded. Um, it seems to me like it was really quickly, but probably wasn't. I think um, it's it's kind of like it was probably already bubbling up, but it was just now to my consciousness. So it feels like, you know, when I was pregnant, everywhere I looked, I saw pregnant people. It, it's kind of like that. Like now, it's in my stream of consciousness, and um, you know, my my kids. It was a it was a um, and that that first relationship didn't really work out. And um, I was devastated because I hadn't even come out yet. Like I barely, barely even started down this road um, and like poured out my heart to this woman. And then she rejected me. And then I remember I was like, why is this happening? God, you know, I had been single and celibate for 10 years and um, I was raising my kids. I was diligent. I was trusting God. God is my husband. Um, you know, I would, I would tell people single is not broken and it's okay. You know, it's okay. And, um, you know, when you're lonely, pray for the other lonely women, which I do believe in, by the way, I really do. Um, and that I believe that loneliness is a sign that, you know, I, I'm not meant to be alone. So mm. my body, my spirit, my mind are rejecting like the pain that I'm feeling is because God didn't design me this way. And not everybody's supposed to be in relationship. I get that. And, you know, Paul talks about it, but I knew that I was. So why am I having these fail? Why am I single? Why am I alone? And then now I find out like I have this other just something happening to me. And then I started a relationship and it failed. And then I felt like, is God punishing me? Not, not because it was a, a same sex attraction, but because like I did, I do something wrong. Like now what? I don't want to tell people I'm embarrassed. Um, I did, you know, I just didn't know where to go with it. Um, luckily I had, you know, very close friends uh, but my kids didn't know. My daughter didn't know. She, I have an adult daughter, so she's older. Um, she did not know. She actually was already living in San Francisco um, as an adult. And um, when I did come out to her, 
she kind of freaked out a little bit too. And she Mm. was like, mom, our life has been so hard. Why would you want to make it harder? And then she Mm. also said, you know, I live in San Francisco. You know, I'm a total feminist. I love gay people. You taught me that. Like we've always had people in our lives. Um, But I don't want my mom to be gay. Like that's, that's another, that's a whole nother thing. So, I mean, we've come, she, she's in full support now, but it, it was rough. It was rough. Um, she, anyways, go ahead. She said, um, why would you want to make our life harder? What do you think she meant by that? Did you understand what she meant? Yeah. What did she so, mean? um, I should back up and share with you that I married my kid's dad twice, divorced him twice. So I married, divorced, married, divorced the same man. And so my kids are 14 years apart. I like to say I have two only children. So (laughs) when we went through the second divorce, my daughter was 14 years old and my son was seven months old. So single mom of two kids doing the single mom gig a second time, it was not easy. And my, for my daughter, it was the hardest. Mm. It was so hard on her, the, uh, the roller coaster, right? She wanted her parents to get back together and then her life blew up again. So, um, and then I, you know, that's partly why I committed to that. I don't think I'd planned on being single a decade, but I was like, you know, I had a baby and a teenager, like there's, my heart was in a, you know, in a blender. I'd been just wrecked. And I just committed to working and being present for my kids and being available to them. But you know, it was hard. We were, we were living in Orange County, which is very affluent as a single mom. Um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. So to add another layer, right now, not only does she have to tell people, yeah, my mom married and divorced my dad twice. I have a little brother who's so much younger than me. Um, you know, we live in this tiny house in this big neighborhood with big houses. And now my mom's gay. Like it's just one more thing. Mm. Mm. It sounds like you had a lot of empathy and compassion for her in that I can, I don't know what was kind of going through your mind. I would imagine that that's a difficult thing to come out to your daughter. I mean, you hear people telling stories about coming out to their parents, their siblings, their best friends, but you don't hear a lot about people coming out to their children. Yeah. My son was 10, 10 years old when I came out to him and he just, he cried. He would, he was like, um, please don't tell anybody he was embarrassed, you know, and, um, you know, shortly after that failed relationship, I did meet my, my current wife. We've been together almost five years. Um, but she came into our life and, um, it, it kind of worked out because she lived in Phoenix and I was in California. So for two years, we had a long distance relationship and I just really, like, I just believe in God's efficiency, like multiple things are happening at once. And that was really helpful that she did. She wasn't just bam in our lives because it allowed me to have a coming out process that wasn't connected just to her. Mm. That was about Mm. my own. 
and my kid, it gave my, my son time to transition and my friends, my friends had to transition this whole concept. And, you know, multiple friends asked me if I was attracted to them. And I was like, no, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no. You're like, are, are you attracted to everyone you meet? <laughs> right. <laughs> Why is that so often an assumption? I feel like it's the weirdest assumption. It's so weird. It's so, so weird. Oh. So I don't know. But um, but anyway, so my son was like, he really likes Crystal, right? He um part, you know, he liked her from the very beginning. But it was like if we are together, you know, I, I mean I'm very femme. So I pass, like I walk somewhere, somebody doesn't look at me and immediately identify I belong in LGBTQ community. It's not until I say something. Um, whereas my wife um, is very masculine. And so you can tell by looking at her and it, she has a very different experience than I'm having. Right. So we it's, but when we're together, that's obvious. Right. So my son was just like, please don't come to the soccer games. And, you know, it was painful painful for her and for me. And, you know, um, you know, what's appropriate, like what is, um, you know, uh, you know, being compassionate and empathetic to him as a child, right. Mm -hmm. Who's like pre going through puberty around all his friends get, you know, and he had a kid at school say, my mom saw your mom on Facebook kissing another girl. And my son was like, that's not my mom. That's not my mom. And, you know, like, and came home and told me that story, like things like that. And then when do you say, no, buddy, it's not okay for us to hide. Like, this is our family now. This is who we are. So like understanding that timing. And I was praying, you know, God, help me, help me be honoring to my kids and honoring to my girlfriend at the time, honoring to myself, you know, um, it was hard to navigate that. Um, yeah. Also, my family, my parents, uh, very much, um, well, you know, they're just evangelical. So it's a struggle for them. And um, I know that my parents both love me. They both came to my wedding. Um, mm. I, uh, I know they wrestle with it. Um, it you know, it was... When, when I shared with my, my mom was one of two people who said, I knew it already. Um, it was my mom and my ex-husband. So I don't know what that means, but both, <laughs> those are the two people who said, I've always known that about you. And I was like, really? Cause I didn't know that about me. How did you right. know before I knew? Um, but my mom said that my mom said that she always knew that. Um, anyway, you know, I have compassion for the people in my life who love me. Um, I know that like I had a prayer partner who was literally praying the gay out of me. And, um, and I just leaned, I just was like, keep praying for me. I love you. And I'm praying for you too. And she wasn't mean or anything. Um, mm. And she probably still does pray for me every day. And I, that's great. Like, you know, um, that's wonderful. And, you know, and I've had people come and tell me, you know, you're, you were in a position of, leadership and influence at the church. Um, so we're disappointed, um, that you've chosen this path, you know, and, um, it was interesting that so many people had opinions about my relationship, but nobody, nobody had opinions about me being single. 
you know? Wow. So, wow. Anyway. I, I'm curious because I feel like, Sarah, if I was in your position, I'm not saying you should be angry <laughs> or like feel shamed by, you know, coming out or anything. I think it would be hard for me not to lean into those things if those are the messages that people are sending me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I did, anyway, I did stop going to my church and I did leave my life group. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there definitely have been spikes of anger and betrayal and frustration. And, um, you know, I, there, there used to be a song on the radio that was like, say something, I'm giving up on you. I love that song. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, would sing it, I would sing it to my church. So, mm. <laughs> and I would... <laughs> I mean, I just really felt like that about the church. Like, I'm, I like, say something, I'm giving up on you. Like, do you realize, like, I have been devoted to the church my whole life. And you, you know, now when I find happiness, now when I feel more fulfilled in my life and I feel like everything makes sense and I'm madly in love now, now you're paying attention to me, you know, like it, it just seems so backwards when I was. So like dying of loneliness, everybody was, you know, silent or silent. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you, you've, you've mentioned too, like you've always sensed God's love and you've always had a sense that that is present in your life. Um, and I hear such grace for people and even people in the church that, you know, are trying to pray the gay out of you. Um, and kind of echoing what Makiko was saying, I, I'm curious how you learn to give that grace and compassion to others, because I feel like listening to your story, like I'm really (laughs) angry. I, and I'm like, you have more grace for them than I do. And I'm just listening to your story. And I'm just kind of wondering how you learned to hold that for people. Um, thank you. I think you're, you're being very, very kind. Um, I would like to think that I'm gracious. Um, but honestly, I think it's really because it's more from a place of, um, of, uh, like brokenness than humility Mm -hmm. because I really do believe everyone's in process. And, um, and honestly, like I've been through two divorces. Like I get along famously with my ex-husband. I call him my husband. We get along really well. And um, I just, I think when you go through things that are humbling and painful and you realize like, there's no ideal, like we're all struggling. Everybody has ideas of the way they want their life to be. And almost no one is living the life of their dreams, right? Like we we all have had setbacks and disappointments and learned how to overcome obstacles and been wrong about things. So I can't tell you how many things I've been wrong about. So I'm just like, There, you know, I may be talking to somebody and I think they're wrong, but they don't know it yet, you know, and people don't change their minds from arguments and people don't change their minds from, you know, being shamed or being yelled at or, you know, publicly humiliated like that doesn't change hearts. 
but stories do and relationships do. And like, I remember sharing with people like, it's still me. It's still Sarah. Like, I know you love me. I know you love me. And they did, you know, and they do. Um, And it's sometimes you can just kind of see people's like, it's almost like they're, they're like, you called it cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It's almost like, wait a minute, this doesn't compute. Like, wait, what? Right. Lesbian burning in hell. Loves God. What? You You can almost see, huh? Well, I was thinking is a spiritual woman is a spiritual leader has had an impact on my spiritual life. Right. And yeah. yeah. You can almost see their brains like freeze up. Like, wait, 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 this can't all be true at the same time. Can it? (laughs) Right. 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 You know, so, um, I did have someone share with, I mean, well, I was in a, it was the last time I was at my life group and they were, um, we were reading the seven verses that talk about homosexuality in the Bible. And I very naively thought me against all of them was like, I don't know. I, I didn't realize that I was putting myself in a situation that was, um, a bit of a power thing, you know, like to be in the minority. And, um, so anyway, they were talking about how you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what do you think that means, Sarah? that you're not going to get the inheritance. You're not going to be there when the inheritance, you know, and I was like, wait, are, are you actually telling me I'm going to go to hell? Like, is that what's happening right now? Because I've never had my salvation questioned by another person. Like I grew up in the church, like, and I would never question someone else's salvation. Mm-hmm. To me, that's so incredibly arrogant. And so I just, I, I was like, are you, are, is that what you're saying right now? Like, is that really what you're saying? Like you get it when you see the fanatics on the street corners, but mm-hmm. these are people that I sat with once a week for like eight years. Mm-hmm. Like they know, like we've celebrated, we've broken bread together. We've sat in church together. We've gone on silent retreats and women's retreats and, you know, um, leadership conferences and like, What? So, hmm. yeah, but I do think like, you know, I, I think there's a wrestling that's going on. You know, what is, what is, what do I know to be true? You know what? And th- that's the other thing. Like we, we forget about the Holy spirit, right? I think so many times we forget about the Holy spirit, like the Holy spirit is working all the time. So the power of discernment, the power, you know, the Holy spirit can pierce hearts, Like I'm just supposed to be my authentic self Mm. and be honest and vulnerable and true. And the Holy spirit is the one that convicts and changes minds and changes hearts. Like that's not my crusade, you know? Right. That's not our job. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. That's above our pay grade. (laughs) Yes. Well said. (laughs) Well said. Do you, um, so you've talked a lot about, um, different pieces of your journey. What do you think was the hardest part of your journey and the most rewarding part of your journey? Um, Definitely coming out. I remember um, I made a commitment to myself to only come out to one person a day. I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but it was so taxing. It was so taxing. And, you know, I'm a professional. So every time I get a new job, I have to come out 
Every time I have a new boss, a new coworker, I just hired an assistant. I have to find the perfect time, especially because I'm not visibly gay. So I have to figure out a way, you know, to, to, and I want to be known for my work at work. So I, a lot of times will be very strategic, very intentional about when I tell someone and how I tell someone. And it's just so much work emotionally. You know, so when I was going through the coming out process, I recognized that. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, I should write a book. Like I should just keep track of everything. And I started a journal. I really did like coming out to my mom, coming out to my friend, you know, coming out to my daughter, um, to my life group. Um, you know, like when do you actually do a social media post? Um, you know, I had to make sure that I had told everybody that really matters to me before I posted anything, right? Because I didn't want to hurt people either. And there were people that were hurt. That's the saddest part is that even in my intentional, deliberate, strategic, mm. you know, prayerful, like, you know, God help me, show, tell me when and tell me how, um, I still hurt people. There were still people that felt like, why didn't you tell me sooner? Um, you know, that was the biggest one. Why didn't you tell me sooner? You know, I, I thought that we were closer. I thought that you would know that I would have accepted you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to get down the list. <laughs> first of all, first of all, I'm coming out to myself. I'm right. in love. I'm raising kids. I'm trying to be a professional at work. And then I've got this list of people I have to go down. <laughs> There's you know, been a few other things on your to-do list. Right. And everyone wants this magical coming out experience, you know? Uh -huh. um, it, it's a lot of pressure. It's yeah. a lot of pressure. So that was definitely the hardest part. And it's funny because I didn't realize that that's not unique. Like I, um, I, you're going to love this, but at my new company, I've only been there a little over a year. We had this, um, for Pride Month, we had um, virtual, because we're in a remote work environment, we had an LGBT um, Zoom like call for anybody to join, for allies, for LGBT, and they asked me to facilitate it. I, and so I was like, oh my gosh, like, of course God's going to use me. Like, why did I even question that? Like he has used every single area of pain, struggle, strife in my life to help others. So of course he's going to say, oh yeah, you just went through that hard thing. Go talk about it with other people, you know, in a professional environment where I, I'm very prideful. I care about my reputation. So I have this opportunity and I'm the facilitator and we're talking about coming out and I hear, oh my gosh, I'm not unique. Everybody goes through that. And especially people that don't look the part because people make assumptions. Oh, what does your husband do for a living? Oh, well, my wife is actually in marketing, you know, and like you have to, you know, do things like that. Um, so anyways, I learned it's not unique, that this is an ongoing thing that people in the LGBTQ community have to go through. It's not like you come out once and it's a one-time event. It's ongoing. You have to keep coming out. Uh-huh. Little times all the time. Little and I think that so I remember that clicking for me one day, realizing like how, what a, 
what a privilege it is. And to not have to think about that. I, I haven't, as a straight woman, I haven't had to wonder when I come out to my neighbor, how are they going to react to me? Like the thought that like, I would have to come out to my neighbor and come out to my boss as a straight woman. Like, Oh, when am I going to tell them that I have a husband? That's not something I've had to do. And yeah, it was so really jarring. And to realize like, no, like this is so difficult to have to do that all the time. And in the church. So, you know, like I almost have to like establish myself as a Christian with someone before coming out. Cause then, you know, immediately anything I say after that could be negated. So I try to like build that rapport and credibility first. Same thing that I do at work. I want them to know me as a really, you know, consummate professional, you know, and I want to be judged for my work. And so that, you know, I, I, um, I establish my HR reputation and then I determine, you know, when I'm going to come out, but I, it's almost like you have to prove yourself first. I I can't lead with that. If I lead with that. Yeah. Well, in the church, if you lead with that, is your fear is that they're going to go to, you're not a Christian. Or I'm back. You want to make, you actually kind of want to create some cognitive dissonance for this person, some tension because they'll get to know you and they'll know that you are a Christian, that you're deeply rooted in the love of God. And at, and at the same time, you're a lesbian, right? So rather than, Oh, Oh, she's a lesbian. So she's not a Christian. So they're not going to get to know that part of who you are. Right. Actually, they one of the things, box. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I noticed after I came out to my life group, um, you know, cause I, I tried to stay there cause I thought, Oh, I'm going to be their token lesbian, right. To, to really help them. And like, I, I thought, Oh, I, I don't know. I was very naive, but how long was, were you in your life group? Uh, for like eight years. And then when I came out, it was probably four months. And then I was like, had to go, but, um, they stopped asking me to pray. So like, you know, when you go to like pray out, I mean, that makes me want to cry too. Like, um, like after the night's over, they'll say like, Oh, Sarah, do you want to close us out in prayer? And they stopped asking me to pray us out. So, um, the women in the group, we would kind of stay in touch between things. And I realized Oh, I'm left off the text. Like, like it would, it, I don't know that it was it meant to be malicious. Cause I know they loved me. Um, I think it was more like, we don't know what to do with this. This is so unexpected and outside of our comfort zone. Like we don't, we don't know how to handle this. And so they were talking on the side to each other. Like, what do we do? Like, we love Sarah, you know, like, I think they thought that I was like confused or something. I mean, one, one person said to me, you know, if Crystal was a man, you wouldn't be gay. And I was like, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I was just going to say, what does that question mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. If like, I what does that have to do with I, I did, I still my life get, now? <laughs> I don't know. I still don't totally get it. But I was like, that's true. I, I don't know. What, I don't know what to say next. But anyway, 
So then when I found out that they were like kind of meeting on the side, having their own conversations, not, not letting me, like I realized, oh, they're seeing me different. That was painful. That was yeah. Painful. So definitely that, I would say that's coming out. I have to share this with you because I am, you know, so ecstatic, but I did get married again. Um, and I, I got married on leap day, which is so fun, right? Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, um, our family and friends were there. It was right before COVID. So we call it our just in time wedding. Um, and both my kids were in the wedding. Um, my son stood next to my wife in like matching bow tie and, you know, suspenders and they looked adorable. Um, and my daughter, uh, gave a toast that was so meaningful to me. And I definitely think like that was probably my moment when I just felt like I could breathe again. Like it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Like the people that are closest to me, see me, love me, get me. It, It doesn't matter if the whole world rejects us, you know? And there's still much progress to be made, but honestly, like there's no better time for me to be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to say that, you know, years ago as a single mom, I would say, gosh, for a single divorced mother, like there has never been a time, to <laughs> better time. Like uh-huh. don't put me in the fifties, like the hair and the, the clothes right. were great, but don't put me in the fifties. Like I would have suffocated, you know? Um, so you, y- I mean, I'm, I focus on the good and the gratitude. Mm. I believe in God's timing. I believe in seasons. And, um, you know, there was a season of my life that I was very active in the church. And I will, I will tell you, there's a gaping hole. Like I miss part of the reason why Makiko came in my life is that I like the community I don't have with the church is so painful. It's like a big breakup, right? say something, I'm giving up on you. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's how I feel. And I, I'm relentless and I, I, uh, I'm still visiting churches. You know, I am, I listen to podcasts. I read my Bible. I listen to worship music. I have Christian friends I still connect with. Um, but there is something about being able to serve and, you know, mm. be in community that I deeply miss, deeply miss. And I'm worried I may not find it again as, as a gay Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm praying for the world's sake and for your sake that that church exists for you. Thank you. Because if it doesn't, I'm heartbroken for who we are as a church. Because it's painful. It's who God created you to be. You obviously have some giftings of service and leadership within the church. And that's how God created you. Uh, That's your purpose, essentially. That's part of who God designed you to be. And my prayer, my hope, I, I believe that there are significant changes happening in the church. And I believe that there is going to be a place for you. Um, so that's, I, I honestly, I believe it too. I just, I'm worried because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's been harder than um, 
it's been harder than I thought. Yeah. So. And it shouldn't be hard. That's, yeah. Yeah. Because it sounds like, I mean, you've talked about it, but again, that, that theme of like God's love in your life, you mm-hmm. feel it and you have it for God um, and for other people. And so it's not like you're not wanting this spiritual community. You desire it. Um, and yeah, as I understand it, like your journey hasn't changed your relationship with God, but it's the church has really, I'll put it this way, let itself um, be affected. And it's shouldn't, that shouldn't play a role in who's in and who's out. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, I like to say um, there's a difference between God and the people that follow God. And And I used to put a lot of trust in the people who follow God, and that's misplaced. That's not all on them. That's partly me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, God is the only one who's worthy of all my trust. Mm. So go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's a good reminder for all of us. (laughs) I fall into that trap a lot. Do you feel like your relationship with Crystal has affected your relationship with God? I feel like my relationship with God has affected my relationship with Crystal. <laughs> That's ah, really what I, I love think. that. <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I think. And um, you know, one of the things that we say to each other, like I told you, you know, clearly I, I think that I'm one of God's favorites, but one of the things that um she says is I must be God's favorite if he gave me you. And then I, you know, I say, well, clearly I'm his favorite if he gave me you, you know? So that's like one of the things that we love to say to each other. Um, So, you know, the timing of our relationship, um, you know, as I said, two years being in a long distance, like the spacing of it, um, it, 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 it's so, it's so obvious to us that there was a power greater than us working towards us coming together and then the way things have unfolded with my kids, the way things have unfolded with my ex-husband who um, cried when I came out to him and was, he just said, I've always known and I'm just so happy my kids will never have a stepdad. <laughs> and he said, and I'll always be the man in your life. <laughs> I mean, God bless him. the upside. <laughs> I mean, but I'm telling you, like, I, we had such a complicated relationship. I remember, like, just laying in bed and thinking, like, how is this going to work? Like, God, I just don't know. Like, I could not picture a life beyond what I was in. And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. The funny thing is, this is also funny. When, when my life blew up a second time, my son was only seven months old. And it it was a very real possibility that my ex-husband was going to marry someone else and my kids were going to get a stepmother. 
And I began to pray. You know how you pray for your daughter's husband? Like I was praying for my kid's stepmother, whoever that woman was going to be, who was going to influence them, who was going to love them, who was going to shape their lives, who was going to get to be there when I wasn't there. Like I just was diligent. And it turns out I was praying for my own wife. <laughs> Isn't that something? So, so I, I, wow. Yeah. Powerful, isn't that something? Mm -hmm. So the stepmother that I've been praying for is now my wife. Isn't that something? Gosh, that's so cool. I know. I I love that so much. So now you've been, let's see, almost well, let's say about eight months of marriage. Yes. Yes. To Crystal, congratulations. Thank you. So how? How are you now? How has eight months of marriage been? I know COVID in 2020 is a world of its own, but how are you? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So that's the other, that great thing, I guess, is that um, I think in the very beginning, I was so like focused on that, you know, the gay dilemma (laughs) and wrestling with my faith and what people think and my reputation. And now like all that settled and now we're just like, you know, in love and dealing with being married and seeing each other every single day. And, um, you know, and I have quirkiness and she has quirkiness and, um, we're both givers and doers. So, um, I'm used to being the one that like does everything. And so is she. And so typically we butt heads with like, who's going to get to do more, who gets to make the bed first you know, um, who's going to, you know, mop the floor. I mean, it's very funny, but we're, we're, um, I want to say like, we're a normal couple. It's so ironic to me that the, that this is how my life is turning out. And that this is the, like the easiest part is now, is now the part that I thought was the hardest, you know? Um, but like being with her and like, it feels like we're made to be together um, loving her is, is the easiest part of my life. That's the weirdest part. Wow. Wow. Okay. This is our last question. Um, okay. So as someone who is, I don't know, when do you think you became a Christian in the womb? That's what I tell people. <laughs> um, well, I have very, very distinct memories because I grew up in the church Like I remember being baptized. I remember being slain in the spirit for the first time. I remember speaking in tugs for the first time, like things like that are like so significant. So I really feel like it was right before kindergarten. I want to say like four, um, probably. Um, but then throughout my life, there have been different points where I've like taken it to the next level, just like you do in a relationship, right? Um, just like you do in a relationship, like in the beginning, it's just all, you know, infatuation or whatever. And then it begins to be serious. Then you, then you're so proud of the relationship you're in. You want everyone to know, you know, um, you guys have probably seen the movie elf. So, you know, when he's like, Santa, I know him. Um, like sometimes that's how I feel about Jesus, right? Like, I just want to be like, Oh my gosh, Jesus, I know him. Like, that's mine. Like I, 
Like I'm in relationship with Jesus, the Jesus, you know, the one in the Bible that everybody talks about. I know him. Like that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Um, and then there's just that quiet communion piece that just like, um, gosh, Lord, did you just see what happened? Did you see what that person did? Like, just be with me. You know, it hurts so bad. Um, you know, and, and then I just feel the presence, you know, and sometimes I don't, sometimes I don't feel close. I just believe like the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I just believe that God is with me. And, um, you know, I'm learning new things all the time and, um, it's a journey. It's just a journey and it's so personal. So, so personal. So that's the part where it's like, I don't know why spirituality and sexuality, like what, one shouldn't negate the other. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. We have to have you on again. Cause you're going into places that oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that we need to talk about. Never apologize. But, Thank you. But, um, so since kindergarten, I would say a lifelong believer. Yes. What would you ask of the church or your Christian friends in your you know, your life group or just the church in general, what do you want to say? Gosh, that's really, um, it's hard to ask somebody to change when they're not ready to change. Mm. So, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be too bold in my asking. Um, So I guess it would just be, can we be included? You know, could we just, could we just be included? You know, could it just be okay for us to be here? And maybe we're wrong. And guess what? If I, if I'm wrong about the whole salvation thing, I'm the one that loses. But if you're wrong about the salvation thing, like nothing, no skin off your back. Right. So I mean, I'm the one risking it all. Why not, why not just let us at the table, you know? Mm-hmm. And if it's really all about love, like above all else, love deeply, like let's just, what, you can practice on me. You know, if, if God so loved the world and we're supposed to love the world too, like just practice on me. Let us just like practice on each other. Like what does love look like even without approval? Wow, that's powerful. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for listening. This has been really great. This this has been amazing. And I think not only have you blessed Savannah and I, I think you're going to be a blessing to whoever has the opportunity to hear your words. I really feel like the words that you have said really have come out of who you are. And you're such a loving person. Um, and so thank you for gracing us with your time. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to second that. Thank you for giving. I, it's an honor to just get to share time with you. And I just want to thank you for giving the gift of your story. Cause that's, that is energy too. Thank you. That's true. So once again, we want to thank Sarah Reed Chandler for speaking with us. If you would like to contact us, you can email us at contact at faithatthefrontcounter.com. Please
please send us topic suggestions, guest suggestions, and anybody that you think should be part of a good human segment. And we'll see you next time here at the front counter. Bye, Savannah. Bye. Bye.